Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, a podcast for and about the people of the Nashville restaurant scene. Now here's your host, the CEO of New Light Hospitality Solutions, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host. We've got some exciting stuff happening for you today. Wonderful show, Chef Alex Ballou, who is the chef owner at Dallas and Jane in Murfreesboro, will be joining us. I'm so excited about talking to this guy. He's just a passionate leader. Uh, He's a coach. He's one of those people who's incredibly motivational and inspirational. And I'm just excited to have him here today. So let's jump in and uh, sit down, sit back, relax, enjoy my conversation. We are here right now with Alex Ballou. And Alex, you are the chef and owner of Dallas and Jane in Murfreesboro. Yes, sir. That is correct. Thank you so much for joining us today on Nashville Restaurant Radio. My pleasure. So, man, we have, I feel like there's so much to talk about. Um, I, I just to start off, I think it's hilarious because before we got on this call, we use a uh, app and sitting here listening to kind of the background in your house and it sounds chaotic, almost like my house because I have two boys and you have children. It was just like children running around, wife, dad, the whole thing. How's that been going? It's 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 absolute mayhem right now. I mean, I've I think being a chef and owner of a restaurant that's fairly new, I mean, we're two years old. I, I'm not necessarily home a lot. So now that I'm spending just this, I've spent two years worth of time with my family in three weeks. And uh, it's been, it's been eye opening, you know, uh, it's been crazy. So initially I wanted to do a podcast where we could, people in the industry could listen to other chefs and other people and kind of gain solace and go i'm not alone other people out there in this industry that are hurting and like just to know like hey everything's going to be okay little did i know we'd be talking to everybody out there who's sequestered with their children <laughs> letting them know that it's okay this is what we do yeah it, you're not the only one thinking about i mean you know I, I really have found solace in hiding in the bathroom for 45 minutes <laughs> it's the wildest thing i don't know why i don't know why i'm doing that well I think that's a great segue into you as a chef owner uh, of a business. Give me like a 90 second, who you are, how long the restaurant's been there, why'd you name it Dallas and Jane, sure. kind of what's your cuisine. Just give me the give me the everything about you real quick. So I was um, born in Virginia. We moved to a little town called Rover when I was six weeks old, lived there, moved to Murfreesboro when I was four, did the normal kid stuff. Started working in restaurants when I was 14. I went to culinary school in 2006, graduated with honors in 08. Spent, uh, immediately hated working in restaurants because I was just burnt out. I was a musician as well, trying to make it in the music industry. Was doing a little catering on the side just to try to pay off student loans and debt. I wound up being a, a high school culinary teacher in 2012. Did that for three years. While I was there, I was working at restaurants, worked at uh, I've worked at Husk, J. Alexander, Stony River, uh, Five Senses, Table Three for a little bit. Um, and then I've staged at some great restaurants um, just to gain some experience. I've done uh, Spoon and Stable in Minneapolis, Gavin Kaysen. I uh, was in Boston and Blackberry Farm. And, you know, I've kind of bounced around to these places to try to absorb as much information as possible. Opening a restaurant was always the goal, but I never 
wanted to get a lot of investors involved and the funding was weird. So after some time, I, I, I had the money saved up and uh, the landlord that had this specific space wanted me in it. So he offered me 10 months free rent. I built the restaurant for $90,000. I already had all the equipment, moved it in, and I named the restaurant Dallas and Jane after my grandparents that were a very influential part in my uh, in my life. So that's kind of the, that's kind of a nutshell. Fantastic. As you were telling me that, because I feel like I've known you, I've seen you. I know it's like everything every time I've seen a video of you or talked to you, it feels very familiar and when you said I was a teacher, it brought me back because I used to be a judge and I used to judge in the pro start competitions. Wow. And I used to judge chicken fabrication. <laughs> and I remember you and your team. That's crazy. You, you did. You've competed in that competition, I assume. Yeah, we won. Actually, we won. Okay. We your won. team was so passionate. You get, and you guys are the best dressed. Thank you team of everybody but i remember you as a coach and i remember the whole time going that guy that guy's passionate that guy gets it he's he's in there he cares he genuinely cares about what's going on and you as a coach have stuck in my head until you just now said that i went that's how i know him that's it right there that's wild yeah I, we the crazy thing about pro start was that we we found out about the competition three weeks before the competition. So we didn't even know it was a thing. And somebody asked us to participate and we had three weeks to come up with our menu, do all the costing. And then I had to teach my students how to cook over a butane burner, three courses in 60 minutes while doing all these knife cuts, precision knife cuts and fabricating a chicken. It was pretty intense. What about working with high school students like appealed to you? What part of being a culinary teacher because it takes a special kind and you said your patience with your children was run thin but i mean it takes a special kind to get in there and do that what's your motivation behind doing that i think as a chef we're already teachers i mean it's what we do we are every day we are learning something and every day we are teaching our our staff and our team something i mean it's either a new dish or how to cook something with a little bit more finesse how to make sure your food costs aren't running rampant i mean there's always an element of teaching in this job. And for me, I was actually a, a, a worship pastor at a church for eight years. And I did the, the ministry of the, the teenage group. And you've got a lot of leverage when you hang out with kids. And when you hang out with kids that they spend more time with you than their parents. And I feel like there was some guidance there that was uh, missing at home or just all around absent from their lives. And to be honest with you, the teaching aspect with the kids was the most fun part about being a high school teacher. The least favorite part about it was the administration, the the data collecting from the state level, the testing. It was just, it was not for me. I did it for three years and, and that was about as much as I could stand. Well, I, told, I understand that. I mean, for people like you and for me, I mean, I think all that those other like the admin type stuff of the job is probably the hardest part for us yes. doing stuff like this where we can just talk is probably the probably your wheelhouse yeah. as well as just getting in there and cooking, letting your innovation flow. It's kind of where uh, I imagine you really excel. So if we're getting into um, culinary school, where'd you go to culinary school? I went to the Art Institute. Art Institute, right here in I, Juliet. 
It was, I think they're closed now. I think they went bankrupt. Oh. I'm pretty sure the Art Institute's closed. I could be wrong on that. I have not checked into that. But I know Le Cordon Bleu is gone. Uh, I think the Art Institute may be gone. But I was there in 06, 07, 08. And then postponed my graduation until 09 because the class size wasn't big enough. So tell me the, um, because there's there's a theory, right? I mean, there's a couple different types of chefs. And then there's the classically trained chef that goes to culinary school and comes out. If I was out there and I was contemplating going to culinary school, what are some pros and cons? What did you, what's the thing that you learned that you apply the most in your daily life? Man, that's tough. I don't know. I, culinary school, you know, I've got a different opinion than a lot of other chefs do. I mean, I know somebody asked Sean Brock, do you have to go to culinary school to be a chef? And I think his answer, I think his answer was yes. I, I'm not necessarily sure that that's my opinion. I think, I've seen some great people start as dishwashers or as prep cooks and move up to be executive chefs and they're absolute killers. I, I don't oh yeah. I don't know that you have to have a degree to make yourself a chef. I don't I don't I think it's an earned title. I don't necessarily think it's just given to you. A lot of the people that I went to culinary school with, the, the day they graduated, they called themselves a chef and they weren't. I mean, they they had never had experience in an actual restaurant. They had a brief overview of the culinary world that was given to them in about two years, but they had no practical experience. And, you know, when they go get their job in a restaurant, they become a prep cook making 12 bucks an hour and they didn't understand, but I'm a chef. I'm a, I graduated culinary school. Yeah, but you couldn't work under the pressure of having 13 tickets on your rail for a while. I mean, you just couldn't do it. So I'm not sure. I think I graduated with about 400 people and I would I would bet 10 to 15 of us are still in the industry. Oh, wow. People don't understand the, how hard it actually is. They don't understand the grind and the, the demands, the sacrifices that you make to actually do this job and do it well. So I fall into the camp of, I believe, you know, almost like as in Ratatouille, like anybody can cook. Yep. Um, I think that it, it is 100% school of hard knocks. I think there is absolute benefits to going to culinary school sure. but i've worked with tons of chefs who i would i respect the heck out of that i would definitely call a chef that did not go to culinary school for sure you mentioned the grind the toughness there's the things that you have to learn what are some of those things I think school gives you, like I said, a, a brief overview, but there are, and, and I've been working in restaurants since I was 14, that in no way prepared me for opening my own restaurant. Just the amount of processes that you go through that you have no understanding of and, and just dealing with insurance and codes and licenses and taxes and all of these things that you've never had to deal with before, they are completely overwhelming marketing things that you just, you know, you kind of think I'm going to open a restaurant and it's just going to be that easy and people are going to come and they're going to love it. And it's, it's going to be great. And I would say 98% of the time, that's not the way it goes. Unless you are a famous celebrity chef or people know who you are because you've worked at a high profile restaurant, the likelihood of you being a knockout grand slam success the first year, I would say is pretty, pretty small. So really, you know, I didn't think finding staff would be as hard as it is. And that's been, that, that was a huge struggle for us in the beginning. I mean, it pushed us opening 
by six weeks because we just you said finding a what finding staff a team staff yeah okay, gotcha finding just just getting applicants to walk in the door after they apply was you know set, i would say 65 to 70 percent of the people that applied when we first opened did not show up for their interviews it's just bonkers wow i have a feeling a lot of that's going to change I would think the labor market is going to is about to become an employer's market instead of an employee's market. And that's going to be amazing for this industry and for the consumer, I think. The consumer I think is going to start seeing better service and people I think people are going to start having a little perspective. I agree with you. I think, I think this time has been very eye-opening for a lot of people. I've I've actually heard my servers say they miss serving tables. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard, can I be cut? Can I just go home? Oh my God, this table is annoying me. Blah, blah, blah. Now they would give anything to be taking care of guests. I saw a meme the other day that said, um, no matter how long this thing lasts, everybody out of work, eating ramen noodles every night, the first shift back, somebody's going to be like, it's dead. Can I be cut? <laughs> Hashtag server life. Hashtag, that's, that's about, yeah, I mean, that's it's going to happen. So it's, it's challenging. Um, running a restaurant and I'm going to, I want to pivot into a video. So forget pandemic, all this crazy stuff. You open a restaurant in 2018 and your restaurant's beautiful. Um, I actually went into your restaurant early before you opened um, as a district sales manager for us foods, just kind of met you and checked out your place. It's beautiful. Uh, The food you're doing, I think is just it's it's beautiful as well. I mean, what you're doing is just, it's artistry and I love it. But as much of it is artistry, you said 98% of the time, that's that's cool and all, but that doesn't necessarily cut it. And in Murfreesboro is an interesting market, but you're, um, you put a video out on Facebook a couple months ago and you basically said, hey, this is hard. We need your help. Tell me about, tell me about that video. You know, from August of last year until January of this year, our sales, for some reason, and I don't know why, just they just tanked. And they dropped by 40% wow. out of nowhere no, for no reason. I mean, we are the number one, you know, as, as much as you can take Yelp, uh, we are the number one rated, rated restaurant on Yelp in Rutherford County. We won best restaurant in Rutherford County by the, uh, the local awards. We got nominated, um, eater called us the number one restaurant in Murfreesboro. We've got great reviews, five stars on resi all across the board. And it just, just vanished sales, just gone flatline. Hmm. We would be, it'd be six forty-five on a Thursday night and there'd be no tables in the restaurant. I mean, we went from doing $80,000, a month in sales to 35. Wow. 40. We would have nights where we were doing $700, $800 in sales. And I was throwing every idea I could at the wall to make something happen. We, we have happy hour every night. We have free house made snacks at the bar. We do, we were doing a date night special two nights a week where you got any two entrees and two glasses of wine for $50. I mean, that's super cheap. We were doing, kids meals. We were doing, we tried to, we tried to change our menu to make it a little bit more accessible. We changed the wording of things. We added a pizza. We, we did all these things and our social media following is great. We have about 15,000 people that follow us on Facebook. I think we have like eight, 
9,000 likes and 8,000 followers. Our Instagram gets pretty good traction, but none of that social media traction actually turned into people in the seats. Mm -hmm. And the perspective and the perception was that we were doing great, that we were killing it. And people thought we were killing it, but we weren't. I mean, we were, we were drowning. I, we had to refinance our house. I had to sell my car. I mean, we've done all that we could to make it work. And the question I asked myself was how long do you work a hundred hours a week without paying yourself to make something work? And I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, we went, we went through Christmas and sales were down and we opened, we opened back after a little four day break with our winter menu in January. And I posted the picture of the winter menu and it went, it got like 150 shares and a bunch of likes and a bunch of comments. And everybody was like, Oh my God, that looks so great. Can't wait to try it. So the Tuesday we opened, we had 18 people coming here. Wow. And then the Wednesday we opened, we had 16 people come eat here. And then Thursday we opened and we had 17 people eat here. And after 6.45, there wasn't a guest in the building. And I was sitting at one of our tables looking in this empty dining room. Servers had been cut. Kitchen staff had been cut. And about five minutes later, my CPA emailed me five emails back to back to back to back to back. Sales and use tax for December is due. Liquor by the drink tax is due. Business tax is due. And then payroll taxes due, and then payroll was coming out tomorrow. And I added it all up, and it was about twenty-seven thousand dollars. And we had thirty-two thousand dollars in the bank. And I, I was, I just broke. I broke. I didn't know what to do. And I had seen all this hard work, and I, you know, my dream, and, and my family, and my staff. You know, I've got twenty people that work here that I'm worried about. How are they going to make their money? How are they going to get paid? They've got kids. They've got families. And I just kind of snapped. And I decided to post a video where I was very honest about what we were going through and our hardships. And I said, basically, unless something drastic changes, we're going to have to close by the end of February because we don't have the funds to keep going. So, I mean, you put that video out there and that's, that's just a, I mean, I don't know if you can get more of a stark reality, you know I mean? I think people hear about restaurants opening to much fanfare and they're all excited and they like to like pictures, like you said, but just what you just mentioned was so raw and real. And I don't think people recognize like how much just them coming out to eat dinner, just a date night, how much that means to the local independent restaurateur. Um, spending yeah. time eating from eating food from you that comes from local farms. And like I said, is unbelievable. It's better for you. But and you drive by like a Longhorn Steakhouse and it's packed. Killing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that, that's a... They're on a two-hour wait on a Wednesday at 6.45. And you're like, my food is amazing. I'm like two minutes down the street. Come on. Yeah. And I, you know, we've heard the location argument before. And I get that. Um, I didn't think it would matter as much as it has because of the type of food that we were offering. But apparently it did. And... Um, but I posted that video to our Facebook page, not expecting, I was just trying to reach our followers, the people that support us and follow us. I was just trying to let them know because I would, I, I dare say a hundred percent of the time restaurants close. They do not let you know they're closing. They just shut their doors. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
your employees show up for work and the door has a padlock on it. Because there's a number of things that go wrong when you tell people that you're closing. Staff start stealing. They start quitting because they know that the, the end is near. So they start trying to protect themselves, which is completely normal. But restaurants, sure. by and large, they don't let people know when they're closing. They just shut their doors. And I, we have relationships with the people that eat here. And I didn't want to just shut the doors on them. I wanted them, I wanted to let them know this is what might be happening. And what happened after that was just insane. I mean, the, that video reached 76,000 people. Wow. And it went, it went crazy. It was shared over a thousand times. Um, it was written about in the local paper. It, it was, it was being shared by people in Las Vegas. There was a gym in North Carolina that shared it. And for, for business, I think I spoke for most all small business owners and there was definitely some hate. I got some people that were calling me whining and, you know, saying I was pandering to Facebook and that I was, you know, blah, blah, whatever they were saying. It's fine. You know, I, this is my, my dream, my business, and I'm going to go down swinging for it. It's what I believe in. So I'm going to go down fighting. And that's exactly what I did. I could not have been prepared for what happened that weekend. We had 35 reservations for that entire weekend. And that's the number of guests we had booked for Friday and Saturday. Friday night, we did 165 people. I mean, we were running and we're a 50 seat restaurant. Wow. So that's three solid turns here. And we ran out of food. And the next day prep was insane because we pretty much had to prep the entire menu. It was wild. Wow. That's, a, that's, that's amazing. What a, what a way for the community to kind of just show up. And what did that do? How did that make you feel inside? Because when you pour your heart out like that and you're that vulnerable, when you just, when you put out there what you're feeling, what's on your heart and you know, the very real reality is you go into that weekend and 35 people show up and you got to just go, okay, um, I guess they didn't listen, but when it gets that many shares and that many people watch it, and then you have that kind of a response, what does that do for you? What does that do when you go home? Do you just like break down? I mean, I was just in awe of what happened. I could not, I just could not believe what I was seeing. I mean, I was standing in the dining room, taking pictures of the dining room. There were so everybody, there were so many people in here. I mean, it was standing room only people were outside waiting to get in. It was a, it was a surreal experience that those are the moments that you, that you love. It's, I, it wasn't about the sales of the night. It was about, there were, there were 55 people in here eating at the same time. Nobody was on their phones. There was laughter and it was, it was just a great moment. It was great. It was everything you dreamed when you thought about opening your own restaurant and doing this, like all these people creating experiences together in a platform that you, you created. And it was almost, it had to feel like there it is. That's the feeling that you, that you just constantly chasing right uh, i went back into the kitchen and i was like this is what i want to feel every single night this is awesome i mean the kitchen was humming servers were happy because they were you know i mean they were generating income everybody was everybody was just moving quickly and working together and it was uh it was an unreal experience and that lasted for about six and a half seven weeks at that momentum and then we went into what i assume is march yep 
and uh, the longest month of aka the longest month anybody will ever remember march was the long march was the worst decade of my life <laughs> <laughs> which is which my birthday is march 8th so it's my birthday month so i'm like hey if we're gonna celebrate my birthday it's a good month to do it but at the same point no yeah, it's pretty bad. so you go through that impassioned plea on facebook you have such an amazing response you're thinking here we go like it, my dream is being realized this is amazing Oh, yeah? Well, now there's a pandemic. Yep. Tell me about your story. What happened here? What are you currently doing? Well, we we saw, we, I mean, I kind of saw it coming. And so three, three or four days before we were mandated to shut down, I decided to close. Our reservations were dropping like flies. I mean, we went from having 40, 50 people booked on Tuesday to by that Monday, we had like eight people left. And then Wednesday, Thursdays, Fridays, reservations were just, they were just done. I mean, we had a private party cancel. Everybody saw what was coming and they just knew they weren't going to eat out anymore. So we, I spent a few days trying to figure out what we were going to do. And we're still kind of trying to figure that out because one thing that we did, we did a family meal subscription. Basically, you order for $150, you get three meals that each feed four people and you got a salad and four take and bake cookies. It was basically 12 bucks a person per meal. Uh, the first week we did that, we had 87 families sign up. It was great. Second week, 45 families. This week, my guys are in the back right now packing everything up. We only had 18 families. And so that's kind of gone down a lot. Uh, we are doing curbside uh, this week. I'm going to see how that goes. And we've started... I would say a month ago, we started doing a Facebook live cooking series called Cooking and Cocktails with Corona. And it's a 30 to 45 minute Facebook live cooking class. And we've done about 25 episodes, probably. We've had Manish Shohan on as a guest. Uh, Tracy Acha was on. Shane Nasby was on. A friend of mine from Boston uh, named Megan Thompson We'll be on tomorrow um, on Instagram. We're going to do like a split screen Instagram cooking class. And she's going to show everybody how to make a um, butterscotch budino. And that's been kind of cool. Mountain Valley actually wound up sponsoring us. So, I mean, we've turned that into a, something fun. It's giving people a break from the monotony. And we've actually taken in some donations through Venmo for people to help support the class and our ingredients. That's amazing. So what a, what a fun... Fun thing to do. What a great way to make uh, lemonade. Yeah. And a way to share some of your talents. Again, I feel like this going back to being a coach, being a teacher, being somebody who wants to just share in this community is something that I feel like just keeps coming back to you. Like it's just part of your DNA. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I want to do as much as I can to support the community that I'm in. I want to take care of my staff. I've prayed for my business for 10 years, and the only thing I've ever prayed for is the team of people that I get to work with. And I want the people that work here to feel like they get to go to work, not that they have to go to work. And that kind of spirit, when we're all here, it makes a better team environment. And then I'm able to focus on things outside of the restaurant, like providing meals to the homeless or the hospitals or doing community events and, you know, continuing education 
and I don't know. I'm I'm trying to remain incredibly positive right now and hopeful and bring some laughter to people right now because a lot of people are scared. Yeah, and you know, I think it's so it's it's okay to be scared. You know, I think that there's a there's a side of this that's very scary. I think living in fear is not healthy, but it's okay to be scared if you're out there listening. Like this is uncertain times, but um, we're gonna pull through it. Uh, you can see from a guy like Alex here, who's just every day pivoting, trying to make the best out of this thing. And um, I love it having leaders like you in this community. It's just, um, it's really what makes the fabric of the hospitality community is people like you. So thanks for everything that you are doing. Absolutely. That's, I mean, I'm trying to have fun. I mean, there are people that are very scared to lose their restaurants, their, their retail stores and, there are people that think I'm just one person. What can I do? But if you do one thing that affects one person, you still did something that's great. I offered a free cooking class to kids the first day they were out of school because there was a lot of kids on free and reduced lunches that were worried about how they're going to eat. And I said, if you're, you know, if you've got a kid that's on a free and reduced lunch, I'm going to teach them a cooking class. I'll, they'll get to take home the product. And I didn't know who was going to show up. One kid showed up, and but he got to take home three pounds of paella and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully he fed his family with it and hopefully he learned something, but you know, you can't be scared to do something just because you're afraid of the number of people that you'll affect. Uh, if it, if you help one person, you still did something great. You know, this podcast, maybe 10,000 people listen to it, maybe 10 people listen to it. But if one person listens to this and takes out of this and goes, I'm not alone, I'm okay. I'm going to, it gets motivated in some way. Then I feel like I'm a success. And I, um, I love that. So what's, 100%. what's next for you? What do you, what do you see, uh, over the next six months? What do you think is going to happen? Where do you see yourself? What's going on? That's hard to, it's hard to guess all this stuff changes on a daily basis, heck an hourly basis. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we are able to reopen as a restaurant by the end of May or June. Um, Cause I don't know how many, I don't know how many restaurants can handle functioning at this capacity for another three or four months. Safety as well. I mean, you know, people, we want our yes. staff to be safe. If it gets to a point to where it's just not safe to go out, then I think that also forces your hand another way. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, if, if we're told to do one thing, if this thing gets out of control, then, you know, we'll, we'll cease to operate if that's to the best of our staff's health and safety, then that's what we'll do. Uh, we're just taking it one day at a time. And we, we, we've switched to contactless curbside delivery. People are going to come up. We're going to put their food in a bag on the hood of their car. I mean, we're going to, we're not touching, you know, we're trying to be as, as cautious as possible. If we, you know, I think a lot of the thought with, with restaurant owners is that when we're able to reopen, it will probably have some limits and restrictions on it. You know, half capacity of your dining room, table six feet apart. None of us really know right now. But for us, the, I, I'm working with um, two of my friends, uh, Monty Silva and Chris Thomas. And we've got some things that we're working on that I'm not at liberty to discuss at the moment. Ooh, sounds interesting. Uh, you just have to stay tuned and keep watching the social medias. Uh, but we've got we've been working on some stuff for about two months and obviously the coronavirus has put a little hold on that, slowed down some things, but we're still moving ahead and, and running along with that and just working working the best we can. All right. Well, thank you so much. I've got 
I've got some rapid fire questions, okay. and then I will get you, let you off the hot seat here. These are just a bunch of random questions that I've got like eight of them that uh, I think people out there might want to know. Okay. What type, of, what type of shoes do you wear in the kitchen? Um, I actually wear Red Wing boots. I have, <laughs> I have incredibly terrible feet. I have like next to no arch, and my foot doctor, all of a sudden I can't think of what that is. Podiatrist? Podiatrist, yes. He told me that I needed to wear boots because they had very thick soles and they were more protective of my feet. So I actually wear Red Wing boots. Nice. I noticed one of your videos that you had like boots on and I was thinking if you're on your feet all day long and you're a chef, you must know something I don't. So (laughs) I I, I want to know what what kind of kicks you were wearing. Um, What's the most essential piece of equipment that you use on a regular basis in your kitchen? My knife. Besides your knife. (laughs) (laughs) My blender. My my wearing pro blender. Who's your favorite purveyor and why? I have a favorite person that I deal with that works at a specific purveyor. Shout them out. I actually have two, I think. Does it have to be food or can it be drinks as well? Whatever you want. Just somebody out there who's a rock star, who's helping you out, who you would consider to be a partner I want to give him some love. Uh, Ashley Hester is my Lipman rep, and that girl goes above and beyond and does not stop caring about me and this place. And she will go to the ends of the earth to make sure that we either get our product or we hear about something new that they're offering or bringing up glassware on a Saturday. I mean, she's she's all over it. She's a killer. Between her and Matt, I love to hear that. Matt Pelk, who worked for Inland, he got furloughed during this thing, but. He's also one of those guys, I can text him at 10.30 at night and be like, hey, oh crap, I need scalps for tomorrow. And he's like, I'll get it done. I love that. Matt Pelk yep. with Inland Seafood. Yep. All right, I love it. What's your favorite band? Need to Breathe. Need to Breathe. Need to Breathe. What's your favorite movie of all time? Oh my God. Home Alone? <laughs> wow. Very nice. Very nice. Or the Santa Claus. The so you're a Christmas guy. I'm a Christmas guy. And also, like, I grew up watching Home Improvement. So Tim Allen, to me, was like the quintessential father figure when I was growing up as a middle school. Tim the Toolman Taylor. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love it. What's your uh, best book? One of the questions I ask people is the best book, the most essential book for your profession. So if I was a chef growing up and I wanted to be, what's the book I got to read? Uh, for me, it's Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. For, that's uh, overwhelming hospitality insight is that book. If it's about cooking, the Flavor Bible is a fantastic resource to learn how to pair flavors and what what foods go together, what spices go with what fruits. And I, I think the Flavor Bible is a it's the perfect book for anybody that wants to build a dish because you know in your mind you've got to have – you need textures, you need salt, fat, heat, acid, you need all these things. But sometimes the world of food is so large, you can't know everything. And so when you have a book that, you know, okay, I'm going into fall and winter, I want to do something with parsnips, but I have no clue what I want to do with parsnips. You open the Flavor Bible and it unloads all of these things that parsnips go well with. And so then from there, you can start to build out your dish. I want to have something. So vanilla goes well with parsnips and, um, you know, I want to, and blueberries. And so maybe I'm going to do a blueberry mustarda with a parsnip puree 
and I'll, maybe I'll put some vanilla bean in my parsnip puree, and then I'll do that over a veal chop or you know a pork loin or something something like that. So you just I think that book is very very critical. That is exactly the reason why I asked that question for that type of an answer. Let me ask you another question. If you create that parsnip dish and you add vanilla and you kind of create it, how do you know if it tastes good? Do you just taste it yourself and rely solely on your taste buds or who do you have taste stuff? Do you just put dishes out there and then hope to get positive feedback? How do you know? I think I have a I think I have a pretty good palate for tasting things, but Food is also very subjective and very personal. Anytime we make a new dish, the entire staff tastes it. I want everybody to grab a spoon and tell me what you think. And there's really no feelings hurt if it's bad, if it's if it's okay but not good enough. Uh, it doesn't bother me at all to say it needs some work and we need to tweak it a little bit more. I think a lot of times when you're younger, you make a dish, you put something up, and it gets critical feedback, and you're crushed, and you're like, oh, man, I'm just not good enough. I should just give up. But you can't take it personally. It's not a personal critique. It's what's best for the restaurant. It's what's best for that dish. Sometimes I think as younger cooks, we overcomplicate things. And the older you get, the smarter you get, the more you understand that less is more. And you know, sometimes you don't need to put a lot of things on a dish to make it great. All right. What's your favorite thing to cook at home? <laughs> You're asking me if I cook at home. <laughs> what, so what? Yeah. So do you cook at home? Rarely. Uh, I mean, now I've been a little bit more forced to, but my wife and I, we actually, we actually meal prep on Sundays. So we we're pretty simplistic. We eat like the same six things every week. We eat steamed broccoli, asparagus, sweet potatoes, jasmine rice, ground turkey, and salmon. That's pretty much it. All right. I got one more question. What's the coolest app that you have on your phone that most people typically, that, that, that you kind of feel like is your app that you use the most? I'm going to look at my phone to tell you. I always like turning people on to like really cool stuff. Somebody the other day told me, because we have woods in our backyard and I hear birds all the time. And somebody said, I just like to sit outside and I turn the app on and I listen to the birds and I, and it tells me what sounds the birds are, what kind of birds are out there at nighttime. And I went, uh, I need that app right now. Cause that would be so cool to be like, Oh, there's a blue Jay out there. There's a ball. There's an Oriole out there or whatever it might be. There's a bird that's currently going to town at about four o'clock in the morning, right next to my window that uh, I'd like to just use an app to throw my phone at it. It's so annoying. Um, man, I don't actually have a lot of really cool apps. I don't, my phone is very utilitarian. Since this crisis has gone down, I'll tell you, Venmo has been the app that I can't live without. We've had a lot of, a lot of sales going through that app. I don't really play games, so all right, I've gotten some videos of my kids on Boomerang. That's about as far as it goes. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time that you've taken today. Is there anything you want to say out there to the general restaurant people, guests, anybody out there? Uh, for restaurateurs, servers, cooks. Y'all just try to hang on. It's um, the next two weeks are supposed to be pretty, pretty wild and crazy, but I do believe that this industry will bounce back. It may look different, but I would say take this time to figure out what you want to do and who you want to be and what the kind of place you want to work for. And if you feel like you've not been challenged enough, go find somewhere that's going to challenge you. Life is too short to work somewhere that you don't want to be. And so go find where that is. And for the general public, I think, We've understood how important restaurants are. And I don't know who said this. I think Gavin Kaysen reposted it. But 
if the kitchen is the heart of the house, what does that mean? Restaurants are to the community. I think people are starting to figure out how important restaurants are. And it's not just about eating to live. We're trying to create experiences and moments. And our goal is that when you leave, you're in a better headspace than when you showed up. And we miss taking care of people. We miss seeing people. We miss community. And I think people are starting to realize how important restaurants are. It was not about just going in there and grabbing a quick bite and leaving. We miss interacting. We miss relationships. And it's, it's so much more than just a meal. I love that you said that because it's been the recurring theme that I've been getting from every chef that I speak with. It's not my margins need to dis, I, my profit isn't this. It's not really a financial pain that people are feeling, although, I mean, that's a, a reality. But that's not what people are talking about. They're talking about just the essential need of restaurants and community and people together sharing food and drink. Like it's, um, it's been pretty special to hear. So thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. And I wish nothing but uh, the best of luck and success. Um, and I would love to do a follow up with you, you know, kind of once the smoke clears and uh, we have a clear idea of what's going on. Love to share. Whatever your whatever whatever this deal is you've got with uh, Monty and Chris is it Chris? Chris, yes, Chris Thomas. Yes. He's the founder of Made South. Oh yeah, very nice. Okay, so whatever whatever that might be, I love to uh, talk about it. So absolutely, have a good one, man. Brandon, I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. So thank you so much. That was great, Alex Ballou. What a wonderful time uh, talking to that guy. Uh, thank you, Chef, for doing that. Well, I want to send out another special thanks to my father, John Still, who has taken on the role of uh, producer for this show and has done a lot of the post-production for me in editing. So you probably can tell the show flows better and it sounds a lot better. A lot of that is in part to the work he's doing. So thanks, Dad. I really appreciate you. So thanks for joining us again on Nashville Restaurant Radio. Again, my name is Brandon Still, and I look forward to seeing you guys back again real soon. Love you guys.